jocks in the pool That is not cool, I need the tools Take me to school, feet first Into this league, me first That cannot be, under the underdog Monica G Feeling a whole lot better suddenly I get in with it, win it again You're one and two in the bag and I'm going for three That is the beat down, got to the best So I keep now, y'all tread in water for weeks Now, now I'm the shark so I eat Now, look, I am not sorry I understood the pun from which I started And never getting these drafts is cathartic So, thanks for the invite to party, yeah Dynasty underdog bite down Up at the day and the night Now, easy as flying a kite Now, come take a look at it right Now, dynasty underdog bite down Up at the day and the night Now, easy as flying a kite Now, come take a look at it right Now Everyone, welcome to episode 38 of Dynasty Underdog. I'm your host, Uriah Dawkins. Join with me are my co-hosts and the hosts of Any Given Pod, Billy Beeman and Josh Goldberg. Hey, what's up, man? Man. What's up, bro? We got a good one tonight. Oh, yeah. Very excited for this one. Yeah, I mean... We're just pumping out the, the like, constant star guest after star guest, man. Yes. I love it. Yeah, last week was awesome with uh, Shane Swigger. Tonight, we get blessed with Jordan McNamara of analyticsofdynasty.com. Welcome, man. Thanks for having me. I'll try and uh, I'll try not to let you guys down on your string of uh, recent uh, hot guests, you know. So we'll, uh, we'll see what we can we'll see what we can do about not letting you down on that front. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate being here. That's good. Uh, really excited to check out the third edition of your book. I read your second edition through and through a couple times. Wish I could remember everything I read, but uh, really, really thorough. Um, I think when I saw it the first time, it's kind of like the very first time I saw anybody put something like that together. So it's kind of awesome. Um, first, we're just going to do what we do with the most of our guests and just get to know you a little bit. So uh, how many years have you been playing Dynasty? Yeah, I've been playing Dynasty since um, 2012. And um, and then I started, it's a similar story. I started playing in 2012 and then, you know, it was one league and then 2013, it was a second league and then it started exponentially increasing. And, <laughs> and here I am, you know, what's that, eight, nine years later. Um you know, so still in that same first league, uh, and, um, and yeah, just, just keep going through it. So I'm now I'm up to like 25 or so. <laughs> leagues. So, yeah, but it was, uh, it's, it's one of those things like I, people joke, like, you know, Oh, I don't know how you play, you know, 20 leagues. And I'm like, uh, the difference between like three and 20 <laughs> tends not to be that yeah. much. <laughs> the, work, the work involved. Yeah, for sure. yeah. So that's, that's my story. It, it's funny, 25 isn't that bad for uh for what eight, nine years you, you've been you've been doing it. I mean, I know some people who've been in it for a couple of years and it's already at that number. So uh, that's I think <laughs> I think you've tempered it pretty well. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I'm always tempted to like I like to do a couple startups each year uh, and I get invited to some and you know, friends I've made and that sort of thing. And it's but it's one of those things that I, I tend to be pretty careful because I don't want to go from like it being manageable to being totally unmanageable. And there is a difference. And, you know, we joke about going from five to 25 really quickly. Um, but there's a whole lot of process that goes in it to sort of streamline all that too. So that's been sort of an adjustment over the years. Um, but like last year, it was really tough because, you know, you're stuck at home. Like there's not a whole lot else going on. And you're like, oh, I can do another draft. And then all of a sudden you're like, you're about 10 <laughs> deep and you're like, <laughs> and it's like May and you're like, oh boy. Mm -hmm. So that was one of those ones last year year where it was it was tough not to pull the trigger like yeah. almost done and I, I get it every year you're wanting to join one i mean as somebody who analyzes the game you you kind of like feel the need to at least be in one right every year so you know what the actual values are like and what it's what's going on so um i definitely get that but i actually wrote an article i think last week or the week before just talking a little bit about tempering how many leagues you join each year to make sure that you get the most out of your dynasty you know what i mean because otherwise it kind of it can get unruly like you're saying pretty quickly yeah, totally. And like, for me, I like to start early in the, like, I like to sort of stagger them because I actually think the difference between, there's a huge difference between drafting in January and drafting in August. Like a lot of the yeah, tactics, definitely. like if I were to say like pure analytics of dynasty tactics would be like kind of drafting in July or August. Um, the drafting in January or February is a, a little bit different. Um, and, and that's one of the things like, and plus you don't want to get like it's a, like I said, the, the process is a thing. And, you know, too, like if you're buying into leagues, like you don't want to get too over your skis in terms of your buy-ins and it, that can that stuff can get away from people so it's not something we necessarily talk about a lot but i do think like managing that managing your time and your your sort of financial commitment to, to it all is something that you know is is something you really need to keep in mind absolutely good stuff so uh over the years how has your strategy changed uh either in startups trading um roster construction stuff like that 
Yeah, it's it's um it's entirely different. Um, so I actually went back and I looked at my I've been doing a a, a series of podcasts uh, for Analytics of Dynasty, looking at basically um you know past teams like it's a Sunday strategy session where I basically go through past teams and sort of analyze decisions I made and, and all that stuff. Um, really early on in my dynasty career, I tended to be very wide receiver heavy. Um, and you know, when I say I was volume wide receiver, I was rostering, you know, I don't know, in a 25 man league, I was rostering 12, 13 wide receivers. Um, that's something that I've totally flipped on its head. So I don't, I know, I don't do that anymore at all. Um, I was much more into when I was, you know, my younger self was much more into drafting young guys, sort of hoping to, you know, get the beginning arc of a massive career. Um, I, I still aim for that, but I kind of do it in different ways and at different price points. So that's one thing that I've definitely changed. I won't, you know, I tend not to, for uh, just as an example, like last year, um, a mistake that I made a lot of, and I, probably never make again is I got out in front of my skis on, um, you know, I thought the, the profiles between Justin, uh, between Jerry, Judy, um, CD lamb, Jalen Rager and Justin Jefferson were pretty close in terms of when you looked at when they broke out and their pedigree and all that stuff. Like they, they look pretty close on paper, but I, I really like Jalen Rager as the, as the one, um, that's a mistake that I'll never make again. Um, because you know what, I, <laughs> that it's really tough to sort of between players. Um, so when you're picking profiles, a lot of what I strive for is to pick the cheapest guy. And I was just looking through some old team decisions that I made tonight. And almost every time I've ever tried to pick the most expensive of a profile, it hasn't worked out. And when I pick the cheapest one, it, it usually does. And so it's an interesting, it's an interesting exercise when you sort of look at it. So that's one thing is, is not being so much youth chasing, not being so receiver focused um, in youth chasing. I think that's a mistake. I roster a ton of running backs. Um, like probably an unhealthy amount of running backs. Um, and so that's, that's <laughs> yeah. something that's changed as well. And the other thing too, is like, I won't, uh, I used to be big on youth chasing a quarterback too. And that's something I'll probably never do again, just based on studying all the profiles and stuff from the analytics of dynasty, each one that I've written, you know, this is I'm on edition three now, the 2021 editions, edition three, each one I've, I've written, I've learned a little bit, something different and, you know, it's been focused. And I always say like, if I knew at the end of, if I knew at the beginning of the process, what I found out at the end, like my dynasty career would be a lot different. Cause there's teams that I've drafted in like February. And by the time I'm done writing it in December, I'm like all these mistakes that I made in the February startup draft, I'll never make again. And it's just stuff that I, you know, shot myself directly in the foot doing. So yeah, so those things change quite a bit. And I don't know this year, for example, rookie drafts, like, I think there's a lot of imp- stuff that we can implement that um, is stuff that I've learned. And uh, it's just a matter of like having enough confidence to actually do it. Great. Um, so you talked about maybe some mistakes that you made in like January of February startups um, versus ones that mm-hmm. looking back in like August that you wouldn't have made, like what are some examples? Yeah. So one of the things with, with my strategy tends to be, so as a, as a general principle, um, the running back position, once you get outside the top 75 of a startup draft in Superflex, you know, 75, we'll say sometimes somewhere between 75 and hundred, I think each year it's a little bit different, but once you sort of get outside that time, running backs, always a better bet than wide receiver. Um, the problem with that in January, um, is there's a lot of situations we don't necessarily know who the one injury away guy is. So for example, uh, we can just use like Giovanni Bernard, right? If I drafted him in February, he kind of looked like he was the one injury away guy in Cincinnati, but he ends up getting cut. You know, there were some problems with his, his contract. Like it didn't make a ton of sense for them to sort of keep him on that number um, and all that stuff. And so he gets cut. Now he goes to a situation where he's maybe has some sort of situational value, but not really the same type of value that he had being the backup in, in Cincinnati. So that's a little bit different. What we tend to see is over the course of, you know, as February sort of morphs into, you know, post NFL draft, and then you sort of get the knowledge of what happens over the off season. Uh, You know, there's guys last year, Mike Davis is a great example of this. We didn't necessarily know sitting in uh, February that Mike Davis was going to be the backup to Christian McCaffrey. In August, we had a much better idea of that. And so that's one of those situations where we don't necessarily have that sort of sharp information early on in the process. 
And so sometimes, you know, instead of taking Mike Davis, you might've taken Reggie Bonifon, right? That's one of those ones where it can be a little bit different. So I will tend to be, you know, like I said, I get pretty running back heavy um, because I think all the efficiencies sort of point towards that. Um, and the, the, you know, you're best able to maximize both your upside and your, your, uh, your average production based on, you know, having a lot of running backs. Um, but kind of knowing early on in the process that the ones that you're going to want to roster, you're probably not going to know all of them, right? Or you're probably, you're going to miss on a fair amount, of, especially the cheap ones, because they're pretty replaceable. So that's one of the things that I think definitely changes. So in the, in the, in the early drafts, like I was in on, for example, instead of taking a running back, I was taking Taysom mm. Hill, right? Or instead of taking a running back, I was sort of, um, you know, stacking Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston, just in the off, in the probability, the likelihood that yeah. Breeze was going to retire. Now I got a shot at the quarterback. So doing those things, you know, having being in on tight end, you know, um, you know, I was I was sort of focused on uh, situations I thought would improve via free agency. That was like Gerald Everett and Anthony Ferkser, guys like that. Um, that I thought had a pretty good shot at having an uptake in at least perception or opportunity because of free agency. And so it's sh- kind of shooting at those instead of necessarily aiming directly at the backup running backs, especially deeper down the line, you know, the, the guys that aren't the premium backup running back profiles. That's really something I changed between, yeah, I'll, I'll go much more towards that later on in the calendar. Awesome. All right. Next one. What is the best advice you have for uh, newer dynasty players? talking like people just getting to their first startups this year, or maybe this is their first off season. Yeah. Well, the, the easiest advice is get the analytics of dynasty. Um, that'll help you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, so I think the, the, we tend to focus too much on players. And so for me, one of the things I, I focus on, and I think we can get, we can get better at is by focusing on profiles. And so what I mean by that is typically the position and the NFL draft pedigree will tell you a lot about what you can expect out of a player. So we know historically, like your odds of hitting as being a day three wide receiver, it's like less than 10%. And, you know, so, so taking those shots is like, if you sort of avoid that off your board, like that, you're, you're going to be ahead just by not doing that. Um, and so that's, that's one of the things like they're usually 5% shots, like one out of 20 of them will hit. And so that's, that's not a bet you want to make a lot of. Um, and so that's one of the things, you know, just try to study and understand the difference in positions and in pedigree. Um, the other thing too, is I think that people tend to be careful when I say this, I don't want it to come out sort of, um, too aggressive. Uh, you have to be careful on not making decisions way too far down the line. So, I think where I think people get in a lot of trouble is taking, you know, developmental wide receivers, like outside the top 80 picks in a startup draft, 80 to a hundred. Um, and there's a huge miss rate there. And those people tend to be roster cloggers, uh, and they tend to be, have very little usable weeks. And that's something that I I think you just kind of want to avoid. So that's just, that's, you know, that's a strategy that I think, you know, once you study sort of pedigree, uh, you know, NFL draft pedigree, you know, where you go in the, the, the NFL draft rounds, like that's a huge aspect of it. And sort of once you start looking at those things, then you can see that like, Hey, a lot of times that like the lower pedigree guys that we might necessarily, we might like find interesting, like they're still really bad bets and sort of trying to avoid those bad bets will just make you will will on the uh, whole. That's, make that's a great better. one. Um, actually reading, like we can actually jump right into talking about your book a little bit here. Uh, I was reading through it a little bit and it, sure. it's cool because I, you know, I didn't realize that it, it's kind of like a one-stop shop for <laughs> all, all the analytics that you'd want. And as somebody who digests them from like all different sources on Twitter and everything, it's cool to kind of see like, Oh, you have like the rookie hit rates in there and then you break it down by position and all that stuff. And, just like what you're, you're kind of alluding mm-hmm. to here is your advice for new dynasty players. Like, and it is a great source, his book for this. So, so for sure, go out and get it, but really kind of honing in on knowing those numbers. It's something that's not really intuitive to most people who play fantasy. And when I first talk to people who have just gotten into dynasty about it, they're like, Oh, this receiver, that receiver. And I have to kind of like, well, look, like, I know it's not, you know, you might not have heard this before, but the hit rate outside of the first and second round is really, really bad. Like, you know what I mean? And that's just like the, the kind of like basic, very generalized statement that you can make, but you know, you can kind of see the look on, on, on a person's face when you first tell them that they're like, what do you mean? 
you know, so I think, I think like you're saying, really understanding that point um, is, is huge for dynasty. And um, it was cool reading through your book, like that and having all of that in there. So um, with that said, I mean, so you said you're, you're getting into your third edition, right? Uh, how, so how is that different than the second edition? I mean, it's the, the second edition seems pretty comprehensive. Yeah, it, it, the second edition is pretty comprehensive. And it's funny because each year, like I try and work off of, yeah, there's just different things that interest me. And so the first, the first year when I wrote it, I didn't intend to write a second one. So I wrote the first edition and I meant it to be sort of it. I didn't anticipate writing a second one. Um, and I just was going to write it as a one-off and just sort of be there. And as I sort of was promoting it and talking to folks and sort of, you know, questions kept popping up and I just started looking at things a little bit differently. So that, that sort of evolved into, you know, some of the stuff with like the base rates in the second one, I think that's like probably of the stuff that I've ever written. Like that's up there amongst the most important things I've ever written is that base rates chapter. Um, and then the, then sort of looking at, you know, base, so base rates is essentially the pedigree, right? It is, you know, you know, without, you know, just, just take a strip away the name for a second. So you sort of look at, all right, uh, you have a, and, and there's a really good example of this from last year. Um, and, and there it's representing itself this year, as a matter of fact, uh, ba so Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, uh, as top 10 quarterbacks entering the third year of their career, uh, historically that, that hit rate or that that profile. So top 10 quarterbacks entering year three without a top 12 seasonal finish, 47% of them hit for a top 12 seasonal finish in their career. If you just know that about the player, if you go another year without hitting. Uh, so if you go from year, if you're a top 10 quarterback in uh, entering year four without a hit Ooh. drops to 11%. Better step it up. So that's a huge drop, right? So that's a huge avoid. Oh, that's, wow. a, that's a very dangerous <laughs> got one year. avoid. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no. Now he's off the ledge. Oh, he's, he is. He's, oh, he's at the eleven percent. Right, okay. Right. Like yeah. he's not. He fell off the ledge. Right. So, so he's at year four. So that's like one of the things when they, the Jets were talking gotcha. about. Again, is is NFL success necessarily uh, correlated to fantasy success? I mean, not entirely, but it's a pretty good marker, right? Of how uh, generally speaking, um, and so those things kind of back up, and and. Um, you know, so that, that's one of the things. So Daniel Jones is on that precipice right now. Right. So that's one thing like you can sort of look at and say, all right, like now you sort of know that like, that's the bet that you're making, right. That's essentially what, what the, and, it, and the cost determines whether or not it's a good bet. Um, so that's a lot of the stuff that I wrote in the second one. Um, you know, a lot of that type of stuff, because you're just looking for patterns, right. And once you can identify some patterns and then you can sort of say, all right, well, what players, you know, what players are sort of can be insulated or what players sort of, are on a, in a danger zone uh, in their career, like, all right, those are avoid players, right? And then you can sort of look, you know, and then I sort of flipped the second edition on its head um, and, and looked at once guys hit sort of how dense their hit is, right? Because that that's a different, that's a totally different thing. And that's actually inspired by Kenny Galladay uh, because I was sort of quizzical on Kenny Galladay. And then I sort of looked into it a little bit and that once you hit, it totally changes your, your range of outcomes. It's sort of your, um, you know, what, sort of how you perform in your career. And that's something that is totally inspired by Kenny Galladay. And, um, and I wrote that entire chapter basically, you know, to, to really study like that, um, it was just entirely a reaction to him. And I, with what I found about that. So, so yeah, so that's a lot of what the second edition is. So the third edition, it, it got a little different. So the third edition, like I, I thought like that does a really good job. The second edition does a really good job of putting out like career arcs in general, but one of the things that I think we don't do enough of is necessarily look at the, the immediacy of it. Right. And so we can sort of know that like, all right, long-term, you know, like a top, like a first round wide receiver might hit like 55% of the time, but really what's a, what's an initial hit, right? What, if someone hits as a rookie, sort of, what does that do? That's a, that's a big thing that I sort of looked at, um, you know, guys that hit early on, right. Guys that are early on the developmental track, sort of, what does their arc look like? So um, uh, two guys that sort of from this research that I found are really compelling are Josh Jacobs and Clyde Edwards Alaire. Um, because if you just look at the, if you, again, just take, just take the profile and avoid the name for a second, 46% of, uh, the, the running backs that are first round running backs that are entering year three that Love have that. hit for Love two that. top 24 seasonal finishes. So the Josh Jacobs profile. 46% of them hit for three straight seasons, three more 
top 12, top 24 seasons in a row. That's an enormous, that, that's, yeah. that's a platinum profile. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so then you put the name to it and you're like, all right, like, man, like he's going running back 18. Like, I mean, <laughs> that that's one that's just in, it's, it's, it's written in green. You know, you're just sitting dead. It right really on stands yeah. out as some value you can take from that information. A- absolutely. Absolutely. And then you can sort of adjust from it and say, well, like, Hey, is he the best one of that group? No, he certainly isn't like there's, I'm not, I'm not here to say that, but when you sort of look at some of the profiles that go along with it, like he's in that range of guys. It's like, man, like he's on a rookie deal. Um, he's locked in there for two, probably three more seasons. Like they bring in Kenyon Drake who's really not that good, but people are overreacting to it. And all of a sudden you're like, man, like I can really buy this price. Edward Zolaire is another one. Edward Zolaire had no business going where he was going in drafts in August, no business. Right. And the, and the idea of, and when you sort of look at the funny part is when you looked at Josh Jacobs. So last off season, I was trying to figure out how to rank Jacobs and Edward Zolaire. And when you sort of look at the Jacobs profile, again, that's a, that's a situation where 45% of those guys that hit his rookies hit for three straight seasons, to three more straight seasons. Right. So if you hit once to start, right. 45% of those guys in the first round have hit for four straight uh, seasons to start their career. That's an immense profile. And the difference between the Jacobs profile and the, um, and the Clyde Edwards Lair profile last year. So that was the first round guy entering the NFL. Um, that's a win difference over the, for, over the, those three years. That's a big difference. It is a big difference to your team. So again, if you sort of think about that and sort of play it forward this year, that's, Clyde Edwards Alaire to Najee Harris, right? And so when you sort of think about that, like, all right, if Clyde Edwards Alaire is going to go after Najee Harris, like he almost definitionally has to be a value, right? And so that's one of the, and 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 again, then how do you pivot, right? Can you pivot from Najee Harris to Clyde Edwards Alaire plus, right? That because that's a really intriguing option. Um, and so and doing that, one of the other things too that I looked at it a lot this year is is value, and because it's something that constantly comes up. And a lot of what I look at is the production of players. One thing I wanted to sort of find out and figure out was what's the market price on players. And so like, what is a, uh, you know, what is an initial rookie hit, for example, do for a player's value, right? What do, is there certain types of players? Is there certain types of rookies that go up in price? Is there certain price um, uh, type of rookies that go down in price? Because that probably, probably means they're either overvalued or undervalued. Right. When you sort of, right. As rookies. Um, and so that's one thing that I looked a lot at. And then the other thing too, is, so I looked at it from a, from a rookie lens and I looked at it from a veteran lens as well. And so one of the things that, you know, I sort of talked about how I've backed away from a little bit of the youth chasing. Um, one of the reasons for that is, is when you sort of look at, um, some of the veteran profiles, like Julio is a good example of this. Like he's gotten to a point where he's probably, he's not going to go up in valuation probably anymore. Um, but he's at a point where he's probably still got like a couple of years more left, if not more than that, uh, of uh, assuming he stays healthy of, of um, you know, really difference making upside. And, you know, what's the, basically I want to know what the price you pay for that is essentially in, in valuation. Right. So if he hits for another season, like sort of what does that do to his value? And uh, you know, a lot of it is a lot of player value. And this is something that um, is pretty amazing when you think about yeah. it, about 50% of a player's ADP will be entirely explained by what they did last year in terms of total points. So when you think about that, like, that's a huge, like, that's a huge, that's a, that's a lot, right? That is not, that's a huge explanation. Um, and so that really when we're trying to predict what guys are going to be in valuation in the future, not a lot of them are insulated for bad performance. Right. And so that's the thing that, you know, and, and you can sort of look and, um, you know, and, and a good example, of this is Burrow, right? Everyone's like, oh, he's really insulated. And like it only took eight months for Herbert to bypass him from starting a way far back. You know what I mean? So those things, like those are really things that I think that, that we sort of overestimate our ability to predict future valuations and future safety and in all of those sorts of sorts of things. And just as I've sort of looked at it, like that's something that really popped in this book to me. A couple of the other things that, that I, that um, I think were really valuable from this book. I'd never had contributors before. And so with contributors, I, like, I, I kind of 
envision the analytics of dynasty to be like um uh an evergreen strategy book that is meant to try and explore different topics and explore different uh stuff to sort of be a reference right it's not necessarily pick you know this player over this player in 2021 it is like hey here's sort of some rules to live by and then you go implement them and so that was something that this year is really valuable because what I was able to do was uh, I got three contributors. One of them is Chad Parsons, my co-host at football guys. He talked about, uh, he talked about roster retention, which kind of goes back to some of the stuff we talked about with like development players. <laughs> it's, it's over, it's overcooked in terms of it being a narrative. Um, the two other ones that I did were um, Peter Howard, um, who did a, did a, uh, a really, really good chapter on, on rookie metrics, which is great. And then Scott Connor, the Dynasty and Chill podcast, he did um, a chapter on tight end premium, which is something a ton of people have asked me about. I didn't really know how to look at it. He said he was interested in it. I was like, go for it, you know? And so he found some things in there that were truly fascinating. And so that's really it. You know, that's that's kind of how it evolved. Um, there's some other stuff that I looked at, like consistency. Like I looked at some ideas on like um, trading future picks. Like, what does that do for your ranges of outcomes? Totally <laughs> change change a couple of chapters stuff. a little bit. It's a lot of different stuff like that, that each year <laughs> just kind of evolves and morphs. And there's a lot of the same themes, but I don't just rewrite what I wrote the past year. I'm not in the textbook. <laughs> I'm not in the college textbook publishing business. Um, <laughs> no, I don't, I won't, I'll never do that, which is funny because some of it works like a People ask me like, what's the best way to consume it? I'm like, read the 2020 to 2021 edition together. Cause that's really the, the best way to do it. Um, but I don't want to just rewrite the 2020 edition into the 2021 one. So it's a balance of trying to incorporate stuff for people that have subscribed or bought in the past and then new stuff that sort of builds off of what we did. Nice. In the past. It's kind of the delicate balance, but that's a lot of where it comes from. That's awesome, man. I, uh, one thing that stands out and it's just like, kind of seems like it's throughout all your analysis is you, you really try to take the name away from the player and, and kind of all of this, um, with what you're doing with the value there too, you're just, you're really trying to map out kind of how values change based on situations, regardless of who the player is. So you can kind of get an idea or give, you know, give people an idea of, of what to expect. And I love that. Cause, cause there is, it, there is kind of a cycle to all this stuff to player value, pick value, all that. And especially depending on what happens, like you, you can see the patterns, but we, we all get caught up in the names. Like all of us do, you know, where it's like, you, you also just like a player. Yeah. Like sometimes you just Absolutely. like a player and, and this information you have to use to kind of like beat that out of yourself. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. don't get me wrong. I, there's players that I love. Like there's, there's absolutely players that I love. Um, I, as a, as a check on yourself, right. When you really fall in love with a player, um, and I'm guilty of this, like, don't get me wrong. Like I'll fall in love with a player and, you know, there's mistakes that I've made because of that. Um, but one of the things that I, I look at is like, go back and just check, like, just check yourself and just say like, Hey, it, I, I really like this player. And here's a profile that's very similar to some other profiles, you know, to some other players of this profile, you know, why is it that I'm treating these two differently? And so I actually use this in a draft and at some point I probably should write about it because I basically made like three or four, what I call just straight analytics of dynasty decisions. Um, and one of them was like, I wasn't even huge on Justin Herbert. Like I, I thought he was fine. I liked the player. Again, I would be much more on him a year later in terms of how I sort of did my analysis um, after his rookie draft. Um, that was a mistake that, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I would have treated rookie just much differently. Um, but in, in Ben very much on him. Um, but, but with him, like there was a, a part in a draft just specifically where, um, Tua went, it was a startup draft and it was probably in like June, July, August, something like that. And, uh, Tua went like four rounds ahead of Justin Herbert. And again, I'm not, I wasn't like targeting Justin Herbert or anything, but I'm sitting there on the board and it's like round eight, round nine, something like that. And I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, I'm like, Herbert's here. And I was like, there's a four round difference between him and, and Tua. And I was sort of doing the math in my head about what that means in rookie picks. And I was like, there's like no difference. And, and like, this is like, I have to, I can't, I have to close this gap. Right. I mean, you just can't, like, you can't let that happen. And so that was one of those ones where it was very much kind of analytics of dynasty implementation. Just, it was, it, it, it was almost clinical. Um, and it was more about the profile than it was about the, about Justin Herbert specifically, even though I, 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 you know, on a face level, like the player, 
Um, and so that's a lot of it, you know? And so I, but I think it works as a check both on the, on the, you know, the guy, the guys that it'll help you sort of clarify your process, because if there's guys you really like that are going significantly higher than other players, you should sort of think about that really hard. And if there's guys that are going way later than they should be based on some other profiles, like that's something that you should really, really think as a target player. So both of those two things, I think will help you check some of your biases about players because we have them, right? We like players, we dislike players, you know, whatnot. Um, and, and those are things that I think, you know, are Excellent. really helpful in terms of looking at. Excellent. All right. So uh, I would hop into some dynasty theory questions while we have you here. Uh, this is kind of a topic that I know Billy's been wanting to dive into more and more. And uh, I think Josh hates, but who knows? But yeah, that maybe we just, you know, pick your brain while we still have you. So um, one of the questions is, do you like to trade up, trade back or stay put in your dino startups? Um, so this is, this is a, this is a funny story. So I have never in my life traded up into the first round of a startup draft. That's, until a, this that's fairly yeah. amazing. <laughs> um, generally speaking, it, it gets, it gets even better. Um, there as a general rule, I think that the value is on the side of trading down. Um, and a, a lot of it is, um, you know, I come at it with a fair degree of uncertainty. Um, and so we can study these players as much as we want. There's a lot that we don't know, right? We, there's a lot that we can't control for. We can't control for usage. We can't control for behavior, which I'll get to in a second. Um, we, we can't control for, um, you know, how they get along with coaching staffs, how coaching staff use them, all of those things. So for me, I like to take a lot of shots. And so I tend to see value in moving down, you know, getting future assets because it gives me a lot of flexibility and optionality. So that's general, as a general rule, that's the case. I think that has become a less optimal strategy in recent years because everyone wants to do that. Um, you know, I, th and I think that's something that, you know, the productive struggle has been something that is really, um, uh, common in terms of dynasty strategy. Um, and so everyone's a lot of people get on it and I sort of studied it in the rookie picks in, in the chapter that I did about, um, uh, trading rookie picks and startup drafts. And, you know, you look at it and a ton of, you know, about 15% of people are, are trying to trade their future picks. Um, and, you know, a whole a lot more people are trying to trade their future picks away. Um, and so that's one of the things when you sort of see that, you, you know, that's, um, uh, you know, that, that, is, that is something that, um, you know, there's probably value being on the other side of it. This year I identified, I don't think that there's much difference between like the third round of, um, the third round of startup drafts and like the sixth or seventh round of startup drafts, especially if you're going to go in, in this, then that range of the draft, I'm going to probably be targeting wide receivers. And there's really no difference to me in terms of the profiles. In fact, I think some of the ones in the, like in the sixth and seventh round, you know, Mike Evans and Amari Cooper are probably two of the most underrated profiles in all of dynasty right now. So I'm sort of trading down to an area where like I'm getting a devalued profile, like that's, that's good business. And so if it's basically costing me nothing to trade down, um, I'll trade up. So I, I actually did it this year. Again, I, I haven't, I've never done it before, but I drew, um, I drew one Oh two in a super flex startup draft. And I said, I'm going to try and go quarterback, quarterback to start. And I said, I'm going to try, I'm going to try this just as a, you know, Hey, it might be an, um, you know, just a research project generally, but, um, you know, this is something I think that there's value in trying. And so I took Dak Prescott at 102, and then I tried really hard to trade up, and I was going to try and trade up for Deshaun Watson. I ended up trading my second, which would have been 211, and three, and then my third, which is 302, for uh, 104, and I think it was 704 then um, to take Deshaun Watson. And so I stacked <laughs> Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson again. This was pre-sexual predator Deshaun Watson news. Um, so again, going back to the, we don't control people's behavior stuff, right? That's stuff that we don't, we don't control. Um, but that's, that's the one time. All right. So you can <laughs> I got to stop you there. Check this out. Check this out. This made me so happy. Because, uh, I was like, man, I should have stopped. I just started a startup uh, about four days ago. And I was like, man, you're right. Everything you just said is amazing because, uh, okay. I also have never really traded up in any of my startups. Like I've always traded back because like, whatever. Right. But this year, mm -hmm. I took Dak at 105, 
and I ended up trading up from, uh, I gave away a third. Mm-hmm. I swapped a sixth and a seventh in like a later pick and I moved up to 205 and I took Deshaun Watson. <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, if Jordan's doing this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because you can talk about Deshaun Watson like, it's all a, at this. So the bet that I made early on is different than the bet that we're making now uh, in terms of you taking him in that second round. But, but you sort of look at the position and you sort of look at the profile and I sort of have a very easy rubric, which to look through the Deshaun Watson lens, you yeah. just assume, just assume for the sake of argument that you're going to lose a year. What would you do with him then? Yep. And that's entirely appropriately priced. You know what I mean? So that's, that's sort of my look at it. And, um, you know, and I, like I've been in, so I have a little bit of history with this, um, in terms of what I do for a day job. Um, you know, I've prosecuted these types of cases, so I know sort of the strengths, the weaknesses and that sort of stuff. So I was a little skeptical at first. Um, I've sort of changed my view as the, as the information's come out into Sean Watson. Um, and at this point, I think he's like a buy. Uh, and I, I basically, I basically did the same deal twice to acquire him uh, in existing leagues. I traded like it was something revolving around 109, and I basically gave a couple of later pick swaps um, to basically get to Sean Watson. And it, again, at that point, it's all like oh, that's course. an upside bet. Yeah. Like that is just because if he's not suspended, like this is a Tyreek Hill situation. You're literally like reading our chat out loud right now. I said this the other day. It's hilarious. It's it's yeah. Tyreek Hill all over again, and I missed that boat, and I don't yep. want to do it again. It's so funny because it not, it's, it's, I shouldn't say funny, but it's, it's instructive because the Tyreek Hill situation for me was it's similar but different. It's similar in the sense of I think there's a risk of him getting suspended. With Tyreek Hill, what concerned me about Tyreek Hill is, is I thought if he got if he got charged, convicted, whatever, suspended, um, it, it was an existential risk to him, right? Because I thought that the the odds that he gets suspended are really close to the odds that he never plays again because he has the prior history because of it's against the child because of all those things, right? And especially the prior history thing, um, and and the position he plays in in all honesty um, with Deshaun Watson, it's a little bit different um, in terms of the facts of the whole situation. I don't think there's the exact overlay of if he gets suspended. I don't think it's you know I, I think a much smaller chance that it's an existential career-ending type situation. There is a chance of that. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's a much lower. I think it was basically almost an overlap with Tyree kill. Like if, if he did it, he was probably out of the NFL for good. If he didn't do, you know, and, and so that, that suspension risk was really not a suspension risk. It was an existential risk with, with Watson. I think like there's a chance that he gets, I think there's a, a decent chance he gets suspended. I think there's a pretty low chance that it's an existential you know, you don't see him again. So they're, they're similar situations in terms of upside bets. And I think that the way you need to price them is a little bit differently um, because of, because of the way that risk is all laid out. But it's interesting because it took me some time to really think about it and to sort of process it all. But like, it's, we haven't really seen, and this is crazy. We haven't really seen a whole lot of situations where stuff has knocked people out of the NFL. That's true. Like yep. Geis is no, probably it's, one it's of very them. few. Ray Rice, the only um, other one, and he we, was done. And he was done though. His he Ray was basically Rice, yeah. his performance on the field was not up to par by yeah. by that point. So it was easy to let him walk. Yeah, yeah, and and so that's one. Like, but we, one we came right like, back. And it's interesting because there's not a clear trend either. Because we. Kareem Hunt came right back. Mixon came yeah. right back. So even the videotape ones, right? So all those things, that's, it's really interesting in terms of like, there's not a clear, oh, tra- I mean, Puxico Burris and Mike Vick went to prison. <laughs> you, think about that. you know, and so like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of those things in there. That's like, it's, it's, um, it's not weed based. <laughs> so like, there's a chance of him coming back. Right. That's exactly outrageous as that sounds. Um, so yeah, so that's the that's the the interesting thing with him is like I think there's a, a very real risk that he like gets suspended. Um, I think there's a very real risk that he's liable in some of these cases. There's a risk that he goes to prison, but I think it's much different than the risk from Tyree Kill and the price you're paying for some of these. Like it's probably worth it. Totally with you, and and the the reaction is is definitely it's been uh it's more of a reaction I think to him than the Tyree Kill one, and I think like you said the risk isn't really the same. Um, all right. So yeah. I know we only got you for, you know, 
10, 15 more minutes here. So let's, um, oh, you got me for a half an hour more. It's fine. We got, plenty. <laughs> all right, sweet. Um, all right. So let's, let's jump on this next one. I, I wanted to ask you, cause, um, I feel like the zero running back strategy and the whole late round running back strategy is a popular thing for the Twitter folks to rant on about. So, um, I heard you talk a lot about, you know, you kind of, you, you really focus on running backs, right? You, you, you kind of hoard them. Um, for lack of a better term. So do you force the running backs early or are you willing to wait and go for late round running back zero or, you know, zero running back strategy, whatever, quote unquote? Yeah. So I think it's worth from a starting standpoint. I think zero, the the word, the phrase zero running back is a terrible description of what the strategy <laughs> for is. Sure. Um, so I just want to start there. Um, I, so my entire, uh, all of my study and I've tried so many different ways to disprove this and I haven't come to a good one yet. So I, I think I'm pretty on the, I think I'm on the right track in terms of the, the risks and the rewards. Um, the generally speaking, every time you pick a wide receiver over a running back, uh, it's a losing proposition. Uh, and so what I mean by that is I have a, I have a metric called warp, which is wins over replacement player. And then I have another metric that kind of goes with it, which is adjusted wins over replacement player. So wins over replacement player basically tells you essentially over, uh, it, it allows you to value anything. Um, it's basically a single dynasty currency, but it, it essentially allows you to look at a, a player and tell you sort of how much that they're worth in terms of wins to your team over a given period of time. To your fantasy uh, team? Sorry, I just want to be clear. Yeah, okay. to your dynasty team. So for example, like, you know, you might look at, um, like if someone goes, like the running back one in a, in a rookie class, for example, um, you could expect maybe like two wins over the first three years, something like that. Um, it's probably a little bit more than that, but um, but that's, you know, kind of what you would, would think about um, as a general starting point for, for thinking about their valuation. Um, and so when you sort of look at it, um, at basically at almost any point, um, and adjusted wins over replacement factors in the wins over replacement, which again is how, how many wins you added to your team, but it factors in, uh, how much of that you basically get. So, um, it basically looks at the starter rate of a player. So for example, if a guy goes off uh, a, a guy has a 60 point game and he's on benches, right? That's a very little value. Right. And so knowing, kind of knowing that as a profile thing is very helpful in terms of, uh, in, in terms of building a strategy. So what you'll find is almost at any given price point between two players at the same price, uh, taking a wide receiver over a running back is a bad bet. Um, so if they have the same ADP, the, the wide receiver, uh, is losing value to the running back over the first three or four years of their career. Um, the, the, but, but you're forced to take them, right? So you have to, so you have to assume that you <laughs> yeah. need to roster wide receiver. I'm still trying to find a league where I don't have to do that, but I'm, I'm, I haven't found <laughs> So, so you have to take them. So you got to start with that, those two premises. So my strategy is basic. My, my research has basically found that the, the worst time or the, the, the time where it's the closest, right. Where, where you're not going to hurt as bad is early in a startup draft uh, because the, the, the hit rates are close. Um, the warp numbers are close. The, um, the injury risk on the, the high end running backs is pretty high. It's a little bit lower on the wide receivers. The wide receivers have a little bit more longevity in that range. So it sort of makes them a much closer bet early on. Once you sort of get after round, you know, I usually use the round five, of a startup, uh, start one quarterback startup, but it's probably around like eight, nine of a super flex startup draft. Once you get outside that marker, um, it becomes pretty egregious in terms of the difference between running backs and wide receivers. So the, the gap gets bigger and um, running backs at that point become significantly higher uh, impact bets than wide receivers do. Um, so with all of that said, I will generally as a general rule, um, this year's a little bit different, but as a general rule, I like to start with wide receivers early and it's just a numbers thing, right? If I have to roster, if I have to start three wide receivers, um, if I can get four, maybe five really good profiles, mm -hmm. profiles I'm really uh, comfortable yeah. with, um, I don't need to roster anymore. Right. And, and typically those are profiles that of guys that have hit before. Um, typically they're profiles of guys that are like in their mid twenties. And those guys tend to go pretty early. 
so generally speaking, I'll attack that early. And, and then I'll sort of wait on, run, you know, if given the option to pick between a wide receiver and a running back early, and they're pretty close to me, you go with the wide receiver, because if you have to do that later on, right, if, you, if you're faced with a decision between rostering a running back and a wide receiver later on, that's a, that's, you don't want to pick the wide receiver then. So that's a lot of, that's basically the entire premise of the strategy. So inside the top, like this year, I think there's some wide receivers that are falling a little bit later. Um, and so it makes it a little bit possible to go up there and get a running back. So like in the first eight rounds, for example, like if I got four wide receivers, um, you know, two or three quarterbacks, I could sort of go running back in that, you know, I could sort of go, if I go four wide receivers, two running backs and two quarterbacks, I could sort of do that. Um, you know, in the top 10 rounds, I might, you know, look to make it five, um, you know, five wide receivers, um, you know, three quarterbacks, um, a couple of running backs, maybe a tight end, depending on, you know, depending on it. And then, so I'm, I'm ahead of the curve on wide receivers, but then I'm taking running backs when everyone's taking the suboptimal bet, right? So I'm taking running backs, I'm pounding running backs and pounding tight ends and some situational quarterbacks from basically round 10 on. And in any given year, there might be literally, there might be five guys that I'm targeting at wide receiver outside the top 120 in a startup draft. ADP. Uh, and this year it's like, I don't even think there's five. Um, and so that's really it, right? I'm taking all running back bets there. I'm taking tight end bets. I'm taking quarterback bets. And that's sort of how I'm building my roster. So in a 25, 28 man league, I might only roster five, maybe six wide receivers at the most. Um, and then I'm rostering, wow. you know, two, three X that and running backs. That's, that's so interesting because I think something we hear a lot about, and I mean, this will be no surprise to anybody, is like wide receivers so deep, you can get them late, just wait on them. You know, just just go ahead and get your running backs early, get your tight ends early, and you can get the same wide receiver too in, in whatever round that you can get them in, in round 11, you know, around 12 or 13 or whatever it is. But um, I think, some, you know, what you're saying is something I've realized too. It's, it's actually the same thing that I did. I think Uriah is somebody who does it too is, hoard the wide receivers, hoard wide receiver twos. But something I realized, especially in leagues that uh, Uri and Josh are, are in with me, I, I realized I was like, I need running backs, like a lot of running backs. I, I can't, th these wide receivers aren't doing anything for me. And Absolutely. I, I kind of ended up flipping it and selling a lot of my wide receivers off to kind of stack up the running backs. And I, it's just something that I've noticed along the way too organically and something it seems like you've noticed analytically. Yeah, for sure. And, and the, the beauty of it is, and it's so funny you say that because I had a, I had a, when I first was doing the analytics of dynasty, I, I did um, strategy sessions included with the book, mm -hmm. which fortunately the book sold more than I ever expected it would sell. And sort of now I'm here doing copy three, um, but that left a lot of strategy sessions, <laughs> a lot more than I expected doing. Sure. Um, and God bless my wife for that. Um, <laughs> So, but one of them was really illuminating and it was, it was, a, it was, it was great because I was talking to someone and they were like, yeah, I was listening, I was going into a rebuild and sort of, I had some wide receivers, I had a lot of wide receivers and I sort of traded them all away. And I just said like, Hey, I'll, I'll try and take some shots on some situational running backs. Cause then like I can flip them and, you know, like, I, you know, I'll just try and basically improve the valuation of my roster by trying to flip, basically flip situational running backs. And he goes, and what happened was, is I ended up winning the league. And I was like, oh. yeah. And he goes, well, like it was totally surprising. I go, it shouldn't be because you were basically moving from inefficient to very efficient, but you were sort of doing it in a way that like you, you accidentally sort of backed into the optimal strategy, which is, you know, and, and that's why like Mike Davis, like if you just took last year as an example, um, Giovanni Bernard, Wayne Gallman and Mike Davis, well available outside the top 180 of startup drafts free. last year. I mean, free, freely accessible. Um, Mike Davis was probably on waiver wires for a period of time. Um, yeah, um, those guys, if you <clears throat> added up sort of their, you know, and they, they actually had it really nice. It was pretty staggered in terms of how they sort of were, were, uh, involved. They basically added up to being a win and a half over replacement. Right. So when you sort of put them in your lineup, like that's a huge thing. And the best part about doing that and see, the thing when you, what you said just hits the wide receiver point totally, totally on the head, Billy, which is when you go and you say like, I got all these wide receivers and they're not I, I, like, they're never usable. Like that's exactly the problem because what you'll see is you'll get a lot of these situational guys and you'll be like, all right, like 
they're going to have three or four usable weeks. Okay, good luck picking them. Exactly. Because <laughs> like it's and it's so touchdown dependent, which becomes the problem because so much of wide receiver value is like, especially if you're a guy that's getting like five targets a game, if you score a touchdown, like a long touchdown, like that's going to be pretty valuable in terms of your point, in terms of your points. But if you did it at starting 10% of leagues, it helped nobody. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, yeah. the, and, and so that's really the problem. Whereas like Mike Davis, like he was in a hundred percent of lineups or 95% of lineups for almost like the first half of the season. And he was crushing it. Right. And that's really the thing with him that like, it, it makes those situations so valuable. You know, my logo, my logo for analytics dynasty, my embrace the variance logo is literally Latavius Murray's uh, 2019 stat line because in, in his stat line, there was two weeks that were, there was two weeks Kamara was out and, and Latavius Murray got starts. And in the two weeks that he was out, he was literally the running back one. If you projected him over the course of the entire season, he was um, on a better warp pace, you know, so wins over replacement pace than Kamara was. And Kamara had one, either the best or the second best him and David Johnson had two best running back, um, warp numbers that I have since 08, right? Those, he was on a much better pace than that. He, uh, he outpaced the running back two in that two week span by 10 points. So when you just think about how enormous that, how Im, Im, impactful that two week span is, you're probably at no worse one and one, uh, you're no worse than one and one, and you're probably two and oh, because of the huge shot in the arm that that gives you. Um, that's stuff that's only possible at running back. Even if like Devontae Adams goes out, like in a week, Devontae Adams is hurt. Who's going to take his target? Adam, Adam Lazard, like what you see, maybe you, you, you throw yeah. him in the lineup and, and hope him for the same. No, not, not even close. Maybe, right. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's Marquez Valdez. Right. Like, maybe they're going right. to target Robert Tanyan. Hey, maybe it's a Jamal Williams week. Like you don't know where at running back. It's a pretty, you have a pretty good ability to approximate and understand what it's going to be. So that's really the thing with it that, from a from a both a usability um and when you sort of check the numbers it checks out right the, this sort of narrative we think about like how players are usable um that usability is is critical because it ultimately yeah we're playing a long-term game but ultimately it's week to week and the other thing you asked this earlier and i should i should mention this the advice i'd give to newer people yeah we're playing a long-term game but you shouldn't treat every piece of your roster like it's a long-term bet right because you should treat i don't know the first third to first ideally it's the first half or more of your roster is elite long-term bets right ideally but that's what you're sort of working up to mm -hmm. as you develop your team um but really in the middle parts of your roster so if you're thinking you know just use the the um you know if it's a 24 round draft for example so the first eight is kind of your core guys the middle eight is more of like your one to two year situational guys and then the back end of your roster you're trying to just pick off like some really situational stuff right so those those guys might be guys that you end up cutting right that might be a situation where you're where you're rostering mike davis right that's a perfect spot to rot you know in terms of conceptually thinking of it like that's a that's a week to week bet like, hey, I probably might not even keep him past this year. Like, there's a lot of those bets that you end up cutting. And so, but the payoff of a guy like Mike Davis is a lot greater than the payoff of any receiver that you're going to take in Mikko that Miko Hardman or something, yeah. Right, right. Because <laughs> Miko Hardman might have two or three big games. But you're, when are you going to play him? Never. Exactly. He's going to be on your bench. Exactly. Yeah. And when you're doing it with, and, and when you're specific, when you're building the rosters like analytics and dynasty rosters, you're specifically aiming at not playing Meepo Hart. Right? <laughs> right. I'm specifically trying to lock in, you know, 130 targets from Amari Cooper. And I'm trying to lock in three or you know, four of those guys. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm trying to lock in 115 targets for Brandon Cooks, for example. Like that's a cheap option that you bet on, right? Like, I'm trying to lock in a hundred and, you know, 130 targets from Mike Evans, right? I'm trying to lock in those targets and then I'm not going to, I'm just going to play them, right? I'm just going to, they're just going to be in my lineup and I'm just going to sort of let that play out. And then I'm focused on other ranges. I'm not sort of going to be like, oh, you know what? Like, this is a week I really want to start Miko Hartman over Mike Evans because that's a historically a horrendous <laughs> but, And I don't want to make those bets. So that's really how it all comes. That, that's all how it pieces together. Love it. Love it. All right, so um, got another one for you here. Moving on from running backs and wide receivers a little bit. Uh, so 
late round quarterback um, in Superflex. Are you are you good with that? Or are you going quarterback early? I mean, th- these days this is even different from when I started, which was you know I think two or three years ago, where you could you know you could see four or five quarterbacks go in the first round. Now it's like you know better than eight nine picks or or quarterbacks in the first round could be more sometimes so are you are you just diving in with everybody else or can you wait and get some late picks yeah it's a really good question um so over the so we actually over at analyst dynasty uh we track real draft position so it'll tell you you know we use real actual drafts to generate what we call rdp instead of adp real draft position okay um and it, it actually tracks. So, so it'll tell you, you know, where's a guy and we use median and um, it's a little bit different than ADP in terms of how it works. Cause we're measuring something just a little bit different, but to give you an idea right now, we've got eight quarterbacks going in the first round burrows at one twelve, um, And then we've got the one Oh one in there as well. So you've got basically nine guys going in the first round, nine quarterbacks going in the first round. Um, so uh, historically I have been, again, this goes back to, it's a really good example of treating January or February drafts different than August drafts, um, or even April drafts, or maybe May. Now that we're, you know, maybe you want to wait a couple of weeks to see what happens after the draft, but this is super actionable if you're going to do like a May or June startup. Historically, the difference between like guys in like round three and like round seven, eight of a super flex startup draft over the first like three or so years of their career isn't very different. That's a very flat tier historically. Um, now in fairness, that is typically from range, like, you know, like quarterback 12 to like quarterback 22 type range. Now it's a little bit warped because everyone's going earlier. So, um, you know, everyone's sort of moving up the board just a little bit, cause we're getting quarterback happy. Um, but, but so generally what I would say though, is, is like, if you were to kind of think about it, the, the teens are really exploitable area, uh, for, for quarterbacks. So the, so the quarterback uh, the quarterbacks that are going in between basically 11 through 20. Um, and maybe this year it's even a little bit later uh, are, are usually good targets. If you do it, if you specifically target a couple of things, you want to target guys that are on a couple year window and you want to target guys that have had an elite season. And when you sort of look at those guys, those are really good historical bets in that range. Um, and so by passing on, so, you know, am I a late quarterback guy? Well, if the market's right, I am. So for example, in February, I wasn't sure that that included golf, right? Because golf with the Rams, it wasn't entirely clear. Like there was some hinky stuff going on. That's why I went up and got uh, Watson and Prescott, just because I was concerned about that tier a little bit. Another one is Matt Ryan, right? Another one is Matt Ryan, really good history, high end production. Uh, got the, got the bunch of hits going in that same range. Was he on a couple year window or was he not? Well, they sort of rejiggered his contract base, essentially locked him into 2022. Um, I guess they could still cut him, but it would take a, like an enormous financial hit. Um, and, and even if he's cut, right, he's going to go start someplace else. So I sort of have that couple year window. Um, so those guys are really attractive now. Um, Kirk Cousins is in that same range, right? So I want, I'm, I'm prioritizing guys who have done it over guys who haven't done it. And then, um, and sort of that's the, that's the range in which it makes sense. So Stafford has been a consistent analytics of dynasty target just because he's fallen in that range and he's been really, um, he's been sort of in that range and, and producing and you just sort of that, that makes him an attractive target uh, in that range. So, um, he's going a little bit more expensive now, so he's probably not quite as much, but Tannehill's another one sort of in that range. Like those are the types of profiles you want to take over the Mayfields, over the Darnolds, over those, you know, the Daniel Jones, over those profiles. Um, so I will do that. And probably like, if I were given the option to do a startup in August, it's going to look different than my quarterback quarterback stack to start because I I'm much more comfortable with those. I'll have a lot more information about those profiles. And in January or February, I'm running the safety, whereas I'm much more willing to do what I would consider like a pure analytics, of dynasty build in August. Well, uh, this is just something I'm noticing. Uh, Do you play dynasty more like year to two years than than any long because it sounds like you focus on more um like value in the current and in, in, you know present sense than future really you know what i mean you're not looking too far ahead it seems like and, and i mean i think people should a lot of the time because you're playing to win you know you want to at least so is, is that how you're looking at it most of the time um you know <laughs> it's funny you ask that because back you know three years ago my answer would have been very different i would have been like no i'm playing long term 
Um, I'm still playing long-term, um, but I'm sort of prioritizing different things. Okay. So, you know, so for example, um, I'll never make the, the wide receiver is a really good long-term bet at a, at a high cost. That's just not because they're, they're not, mm-hmm. um, they're very dangerous bets. Mm-hmm. Like I love Jamar chase and he's still, I might put like a 60, 70% chance that he hits. And that's at the price that he's going, isn't worth it. You know? So, so that's like the, that's the concern that I have doing that. Um, I will build long-term. Um, I will. So there's a couple of things that I would say with that. Um, trying to predict anything three years out. If, if you sat in 2018 and tried to predict what would have happened in 2020, everyone would have gotten it wrong. So, um, you know, uh, from basically foundational aspects of like, you know, could I go to work? Um, so that's one of those things that, that I, um, I'm, I'm super skeptical about is like, I don't think we do a particularly good job of predicting the future. Um, and when you sort of look at player profiles, trying to predict three years out is really tough. Um, that said, sort of, I know where to do it, right? Like I know historically the bet is to try and preserve that long-term value early in a startup draft. So you don't take a, you know, 27 year old running back with your first pick, right? You take a 26 or 25 year old receiver, for example, right? Like that's, that's the, that's the different way that I would sort of think about it. Um, as I sort of get down further into my draft, into my, into, into the rounds, I sort of know that I'm taking you know, if they were going to be really great long-term bets, they wouldn't be there. Right. So if they were going to be, you know, if, if Matt Ryan was going to be an elite asset for the next 10 years, he wouldn't be going as as quarterback 18, right. He'd be going as quarterback one, right. Like that, that would be, that would be the difference. Um, so I'm sort of prioritizing different ranges of, of the roster then. Um, and that gives me options, right? Like Jared Goff's one that like he could start for the next like six years and no one's given him that credit. Um, by sort of valuing him in a couple year window, anything I get more than that is really upside. Right. And I do think ultimately, like he'll probably be a long-term starter in the NFL. It might just look differently than it would have a couple years ago, what we would have predicted. So that's one of the things. The other thing too, is like, if I'm trying to project, project like long-term valuation, I think the, the best way to do it is to take the cheapest bet of a profile. Yeah, it tells a story. So I'm actually yeah. recording tonight. I'm recording a strategy session with my, with Chad Parsons. And we, um, for analytics at dynasty and in a league that we did together. And literally every time we took the most expensive bet of a profile, it has not worked out. And every time we took the cheapest bet of a profile, it has worked out. <laughs> I love and, that. You know, is that, is that, is that predictive? No, but is it when you sort of look at these guys and, and one of the fascinating things, <laughs> yeah. um, so when, when I, when you look at, um, when you look at these profiles, so this is like a really good class to think about this with like Jamar chase up at the top of the class is really like, he's an excellent wide receiver. But when you, when you look at first round wide receivers, just as a class, what has not been predictive of fantasy success has been where they go in the first round. Mm. And what has also not been predictive is where they go in rookie drafts. Okay. So if you sort of take that and the same thing is true with top 10 quarterbacks, Okay. So the same exact statement holds true with top 10 quarterbacks, the, the, where they go in the, in the class and you know, whether they go first overall or 10th overall hasn't been predictive of fantasy success and where we rank them in terms of rookie draft ADP hasn't been predicted either. So when you look at that and say, all right, well, how do I want to try and project long-term valuation? Well, I can do a couple of things. I can sort of have picks, which I always try and do right. Picks, future picks always give me options. But if I can, if I can sort of incorporate maybe two bets at the price of one, um, where they're very similar bets or where they're close to random bets, like that's a way to do it to try and project some long-term valuation. Again, that's, that's the difference between taking Herbert versus Burrow. Again, we don't predict the future very well. And that's one of the examples of it. Right. And so that's one of those things where, um, you know, if you, if you, what was the cost? And this is a mistake that I made last year that I wish I didn't. And if I could go back, I would change it. I took Jonathan Taylor at the top of rookie drafts. And again, it, it worked out. It worked out, but in hindsight, what the, the proper bet would have been to do would be to trade the pick to a, and, and I think this was absolutely doable. So you could have traded the pick for, you know, traded one one for, I don't know, one Oh five and one ten for example. And taken at 105, taken a very similar profile, which was Swift or Acres or Dobbins, right? You probably could have gotten Swift there. Um, and then at 110, 
instead of taking Burrow up at the top of the draft, I could have taken Herbert. And so thinking about those two things, again, the same, the, the, it holds true, right? Where they go in rookie drafts for top 10 quarterbacks isn't predictive. And where they go in the NFL draft isn't predictive. When you're just looking at that subset, if I can take one for cheaper, right? If I'm taking two bets, right? That, that Swift, I'm taking the Swift bet and the Taylor bet. They're pretty close bets. And I'm getting the, the random shot at it being better than Herbert or better than Burrow with Herbert. Like that's kind of the way to do it. So that's kind of my focus in terms of trying to build long-term is doing those things. So for me, like Brandon Ayuk, he was like the last of the first round wide receivers last year. He's a target guy yeah. for me, you know, like this year, I don't even like Kadarius Tony, but if he goes in the first round of rookie <laughs> drafts, like he's probably going to be a target guy. Yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. looking at those things, like that's kind of how I do it. And so I try and prioritize I joke with my subscribers that I'm constantly thrift shopping. <laughs> I'm trying to prioritize the long-term bets I'm trying to make are cheap ones because then there's range for them to go up in price. And I'm not, I'm not taking a really high end bet on something that isn't that high upside and has a lot of downside to the cost. Like Trevor Lawrence, um, I'm, I'm making a bet on whoever the fourth or fifth quarterback is in a rookie draft and sort of doing that. So that's kind of how I look at it. So it's a little bit different than necessarily investing long-term assets all the way up at the top. Um, I'm trying to sort of incorporate some cheaper ones and maybe multiple of them um, at the same, uh, you know, that, that are similar bets to the one cheaper one that I could take. Awesome. So if somebody wanted to pick a, pick up a copy of AOD, where they, where should they go check it out? At? Yeah, you can go to analyticsdynasty.com. Uh, so analyticsdynasty.com slash shop. It'll have all your stuff. You know, I think the best way to to do um, an analytics of dynasty sort of, um, you know, to try and get the whole thing. I think I mentioned this before is do the 2020 and the 2021 edition together. Um, so I have a bundle on there. You can get it. Um, you can analyticsdynasty.com. And then if you subscribe to analytics of dynasty, um, you know, I have, uh, I do a dynasty daily podcast. So I record a podcast. Well, I, I release a podcast every day. Um, and you know, it's on, you know, right now it's largely on rookie drafts, um, and rookie profiles. So working through all that and I'll, I include a book, um, with, I include the 2021 edition with a subscription. So if you want to do either of those, and I have the, the, um, the real draft position tracker that is with that, I have my dynasty tiers that are with that. So it's all, got a whole bunch of metrics in there that'll help you make better decisions. Um, and then, um, I also have a dynasty trade finder which is um, you can go in, look up any player. Um, we've got 6,500 leagues that we track in wow. terms of trades. Wow. Um, so you can get, you know, like, it, honestly, uh, you know, the, the Deshaun Watson thing is a proxy for a lot of things, but we released that the, the week of the Deshaun Watson news. And to just see the daily influx of trades of Deshaun Watson, they were all over the place and very valuable. And that's information that, you know, on a, you know, there's other sites that try and do this. Um, but we were three days, you know, they were three days lagging and in a situation that's moving that fast or in season, like you can't afford that. So you can, that is included. And honestly, if you don't want to, uh, subscribe to the entire site, um, you can get an AOD apps, uh, subscription that includes the real draft position. It includes the, uh, the, um, trade database over there, uh, on a monthly basis. So you can do any of those things. And then, uh, you can follow me on Twitter as well at McNamara Dynasty. Awesome. Thank you, Jordan, for being on with us tonight. Um, as he said, give him a follow at McNamara Dynasty on Twitter. Make sure you give us a follow at Dynasty Underdog, at Just Your IFF, at Any Given Pod, at Willie Beam and DFF, and at Josh Goldberg AGP. Mm-hmm.